from the very beginning, we know from recorded history, we know from biblical description that if Satan is anything, he is a liar. And there's not a one of us in the room here just now. We're looking to have multiple stories how we believe those lies, thinking that this will this will make me rise up. This this will enable me to fly. This this will enable me to be free and, and to to have joy and contentment and to to even get ahead a little bit or a lot. We've all got stories of how we tried this and we, we didn't fly. And we tried that. So God, I'm, I'm begging that those of us that by your grace have discovered, no, the only, the only way to truly soar is when we just sang, when you take over. And I'm praying that for those who are still struggling with that, that they would hear, oh, maybe our stories, read of those kinds of stories in the scriptures, and the scriptures are full of them. God, we just keep thinking we can do it on our own. I can make my own way. And there's a growing number of us that are saying, no, I've crashed and burned too many times. I'm to the reality that I can only soar when Christ is in control. And while we once thought that was surrender, God, we are discovering that that is, well, the truest form of success. I'm praying that you would cause all of us to, to graciously see that you're not trying to manipulate us You are indeed trying to set us free from our own foolish thinking, from Satan's lies, from the myth that self-determination is the greatest key to life. God, help us to find our truest freedom and our greatest joys in your gracious, protective, eternal care. That's where our freedom lies. That's where we soar. That's that's where we rise above all the things of this life. God, would you open our eyes and enable us to see that place. And use our time together this morning to enlighten us to that end. We ask you in your name now. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. And we are in chapter 37. As Bill mentioned, we are working our way through a number of great Old Testament stories that demonstrate and illustrate what we call providence. The word providence is a great word, interestingly enough, but I, I, I was not aware of this. I think Mike told me, and then I got it confirmed from a more reliable source. <laughs> Turns out the city of Providence, Rhode Island, is thinking about changing their name. Because we're living in a culture where no one wants to acknowledge the providence of God. 
And yet I'm here telling you that you know, my life depends on the providence of God. And as you just heard me talk to God on our behalf, praying to God, that uh, it's, it's providence that's given me hope. It's His, not manipulation, but His creator care of His universe, of which we are a part. And the way He lovingly manages His creation, of which we are a part. And we find purpose and joy like I've never known before. So, the truth of God's sovereignty, there's no higher authority, and that in His sovereignty, He manages lovingly His creation, raises a lot of questions. Well, what are you, what are you saying, that uh, we're just puppets? No, absolutely not. And, and you'll see human responsibility and yet God's working through what we do right, through what we do wrong. And we'll answer that progressively week by week by week by week. So we're looking at these many weeks this summer. We'll, we'll be doing this at least through the end of um, definitely August, probably even September. So by the time we get to the end of September, Maybe a week or two in October, maybe. Well, the first half of I'm just looking at these great stories. And when I say stories, I don't mean mythical, fabricated illustrations. I mean real historically documented in extra-biblical writings. These people existed, and a lot of people who don't believe in God wrote about them. You can find that, that outside of the Bible documentation. So we'll look at these stories in, in, in the scriptures. But then uh, the, the remaining half, whatever that's going to work out to be, some eight, nine weeks, uh, seven, eight weeks, whatever it's going to be, we'll look more particular about this, this, this verse. What does this verse say? In light of all that we've seen in these great sweeping illustrations, stories recorded for us in the scriptures. So we're taking both a a kind of a, a big view, and then we're going to break it down in much more smaller detail and try to answer a lot of these, well, what about this? Well, what about this? What are you saying, this? And we'll deal with all of that first half, then more particularly in detail, second half. We come this morning, Genesis chapter 37. Of all the stories we're going to look at, this might be, I'm not taking a poll, it might be one of the more, if not the most familiar of all these Old Testament stories, even into the New Testament as well, of seeing God's hand, the way he coordinates things, and here's the result. Oh, oh my goodness, only God could have done that. And, and a very, very familiar story. So we're looking <laughs> at the life of Joseph. Now, quickly catch this as if to let you see that God uses typical, normal, broken people and dysfunctional families, of which every one of us here is a part, to accomplish his purpose. Abraham and Sarah had this promise from God that, uh, that you know, look, you're, I've, I've chosen you and, and you're, you're going to have a son, and uh, it's you're going to be significant, and, and I'm beginning with you and your son and the next generations to follow. I'm going to build this, the two of you, 
into a, a, a family, and that family's going to become a nation, and through that nation the Messiah will come, and wow, have I chosen you and your, you know, descendants for, for great, 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 great stuff. Well, the problem is, okay, God spoke, well, this is interesting, and uh, he said that to Abraham when he's in his 80s, and, and then, you know, his 80s turned into his 90s, and, and not to be crude, but, but he's not producing seed. He's got major loads. Thought because she was wearing a veil that was dark and 
He's with his brothers. He's a boy with the other sons. So the other sons come from the other women. Joseph does come from Rachel. Here's where it gets interesting. Joseph brought a bad report of them, his other brothers, to their father. Hey, Dad, these guys are lying, they're cheating, and well, everyone in this family lies and cheats. That's the point, that's not being funny. Everyone in this family is lying and cheating. And, and Joseph is committed to honesty, which is not going to go well if you're in a family of liars and cheats. There's really no way to clean that up and make it sound nice. <coughs> Now, Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than the rest of his sons because it was the son of his old age. He has one more still after this. And he made him a robe of many colors. I can't absolutely be dogmatic, but it's highly probable, it's highly probable that this coat of many colors is, is much like the coat. Remember the prodigal son? He says, forget you, Dad. You and Jesus and and, and working here and I ain't feeling it. I, I, I want to make my own way. So Dad, I love you, but, but if you really love me, and, and, and we do this to other people, we, we pressure them and, and we, we, we couch our, our statements and our questions and our expectations in such a way that it comes out that, look, if you really love me, you do this, and if you don't do this, then I know you don't love me. And the culture is doing that to us now, and people do that to us all along, and, and the prodigal son did that to his dad. His dad says, of course I love you, son. Okay, so I'll liquidate my whole state right now. I'll liquidate the whole thing, and, and here's your hat, and God bless you, and you're always welcome back home. And the prodigal son wastes his money, and he wastes his life, and he's broken, and he's busted, and he comes home. And God never says to us, well, too bad for you. Make it yourself. He always welcomes us. Prodigal comes home. Remember what happened? The father gave him like a this this blazer with a family crest in the pocket. <laughs> it's probably saying, no, because you recognize grace. I'm going to trust the family to you. You wasted half our money, but I'm trusting the family to you because you get grace, son. You get forgiveness. You understand the heart of God now. I'm trusting you with this family. And that's the rights and the responsibilities of the firstborn, typically speaking. But so far, it's been reversed. Was it Ishmael? It was Isaac. Was it Esau? It was Jacob. And it's not any of the other brothers. It's going to be Isaac. So this firstborn thing gets changed more than it gets imprinted. Because grace always trumps anything else. Amen. Always supersedes everything else in the scripture. Grace is way more important than anything else. Okay, so now the story is set. Now, now, the, the, okay, this is the landscape. How do things begin to unfold? In verse 5, Joseph has these dreams. It's two of them. He sees seven healthy, strong cows. And then he sees seven broke down, scraggly, no meat on their bones, 
weak, frail cows, and then the seven useless, meaningless cows eat the seven full cows, and what does that mean? And then there's another one. There's a stalk with seven ears of grain, maybe corn, something else. And 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 these these ears of, of grain are, are full and plump and 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 juicy. And then there's another stalk, and it's got seven ears, and it the, the grain's all dried up, and the thing's leaning over, and it's nasty, and it's ugly. And, and but then these seven over. And what does all this mean? Second vision is it's not just cows and, and stalks of grain, it's it's the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it's not now it's not just other planets, it's 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 the sun and the moon. It's so it's it's my brothers, my brothers and mom and dad. And all the planets bow down to my star. And the folks say, Okay, that's it. Today we're gonna to kill you. Mm. So, you know, you tell these stories, you keep telling us stuff, and we're sick of it and, and you know what? Today you're going to die. And even his dad says, son, you can't talk like that. Shut your mouth. You can't be saying stuff like that. What are you, you starting divisions, family? This whole family has divisions. And God steps into it and uses it to make his point. Look at the brilliance of God. We're not mindless little puppets just doing what Jesus says. He takes our brokenness and reveals his beauty. So in verse 18, they say, that's it, we're going to kill you. Now Reuben, the first one, says, well, we, we can't do that, not because I'm crazy about him, but if you kill him, then I'm in trouble with death. So we, we can't kill him. And then his brother Judah said, well, how about this? How about we just sell him? <laughs> and so sure enough, the Ishmaelites, remember that name, Ishmaelites, descendants of So they're distant cousins. Ishmael's pulled away from the family. Make my own way. So the Ishmaelites come and they're slave traders. So let's, we won't kill them. Look how nice we are. We're not going to kill them. We'll just kill them. You know, that kind of reasoning is still with us. I don't want these people all upset about We didn't kill them. Still, all we did was put them in slavery. Come on. That's a long time ago. I don't even you never going to get over that. Has anything changed from then to now? So Judah says, well, let's sell it. And they do. And this next little scene, we, we wind up in chapter 39. You should read chapter 38 on your own if you want to see just how broken is this family. Well, there's just really a horrible story in chapter 38 about Judah and what he does. Oh, my goodness. Chapter 39, verse 2, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 39, he winds up to this guy named Potiphar. An Egyptian man named Potiphar who's got a younger, hot wife. Can you say hot in church from the pulpit? <laughs> That's probably very typical in a biblical setting because before you could get married, usually the wife's, the, the, the bride's father would have these stipulations and to achieve that stipulation to marry his beautiful wife, you had to jump through some hoops. You had to have a house that was paid for. And you have to have a, a, a 
for a year's worth of wages in cash so you can stay at home with your wife, get to know her, love her, and, and, and understand her, and then go back to work. So to get a house paid for and to have a year's wages won't take you a while. So you get a lot of 40-year-olds marrying 20-year-olds. And, and, and not because, I don't have time to get into all of that, but, but there's, there's reasons why this would occur. It's not the horrible reasons that we all assume. So Potiphar's got this great job, and he's making a lot of money now, and he's got this young wife, and she's stuck with a 45, 50, whatever he is at this point in time. And Potiphar buys this slave, Joseph. Now look at verse The Lord was with Joseph. You had these dreams from God, and you had the stupidity, I say that with sarcasm, to share it. And the people said, shut up, shut up. His brothers want to kill him. But in an act of mercy, they only sell him. And the next time we see him in chapter 39, verse 2, the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. See, we think God is only with us when everyone loves us, we got money in our pocket, and the world is our oyster. Real bad for Joseph. It's going to get way worse before it gets good. And God is with him in verse 2. Well, let's skip to the point. Get down to verse 10. And what's going on is that, that uh, you know, Mrs. Potiphar is looking at her husband and says, this man wore out. He got a lot of money, but he, he ain't fine at all. Joseph, on the other hand, that boy's got some muscles and he's polite and he's from another country and he has two or three different languages and he's, he's a Renaissance man. And, oh, I, I could stand me some, some excitement and some, some, some intellect and something more than this guy who just wants mashed potatoes and <laughs> this, there's nothing new in the scriptures. It's this, this sin is as old as, as Adam and Eve. And so she's making her move. Look at verse 10. She is speaking to Joseph day after day. Come on, baby, me and you. Come on, man, you know you want some of this. And however it came across. Every day. Every day. You think you're having some temptations? Economic? Emotional, sexual. Take your adversary temptation every day. This young woman coming on strong to this young, strong, fine-looking, courteous, godly young man. Mm. And he's like, I'm down here by myself. My family's back home. Dad probably thinks I'm dead. What am I, what am I doing? Just make the best of it. No, no. Joseph is not having that kind of thinking. You think you're having temptation? He would not listen to her. He would not. 
he, he would not. So, well, what's the old saying? Nothing worse than the scorn of a woman. Okay, you're not going to play my game? We're going to change the game. And so, she gets him in the house, acts like something is, you know, and she reaches for him. He runs out of the house. He runs out of the house and runs out of his robe, which is just perfect because it's, look, look, he tried to force himself on me and I pushed him off, but I pulled his coat as I pushed him off and he tried to force himself on me. And, and, and Potiphar says, yeah, we can't have that. Put that man in jail. But verse 2 says, God was with him. Yeah. Yeah. God was with him. What are you saying? God didn't know all this stuff happened? That's exactly what I'm saying. And just because you don't see it and feel it in the way you would like to see it or feel it, doesn't mean it's not there. Now in chapter 40, verse 20 says he goes to prison. Verse 20, verse 21. Look at verse 21 again. Chapter 39, verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. It's like brackets. Beginning of the chapter, end of the chapter. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Right now, you don't probably see God's work in your life. I'm telling you, he's born again. Even if you're not born again, God is there. Chapter 40 opens. He's in prison. And he meets these two guys. One's a butler. One's a baker. And look at verse 7 and 8. He asked Pharaoh's official officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why your face is downcast? I want you to read verse 7 because Joseph was not pining away, feeling sorry. This stinks. God is making me. In fact, you know what? There is no God. That's not Joseph at all. He's in prison. He's been praying. He knows he's innocent. He senses, God said, you're with me. I, I sort of kind of feel that some days. But he's walking around prison saying, hey, man, how's it going today? Anything I can do for you? How, you guys seem sad today, verse 7. You, you, you fellas, you, you guys, look around here. What's wrong? He's cheering people up. Of course, the big, yeah, yeah, I, was, I was about to say, I've spent a lot of time in prison. Well, I, I have, not the way you might imagine. <laughs> For years and years and years, two Saturdays a month, two Thursday nights a month, I was in prison somewhere uh, playing some kind of basketball or softball and, and sharing the gospel. For decades, me and Mike and a handful of other guys, and, and uh, it was just great times, just just really great times. But here's, we all knew we were getting out and going home. To our families and to a nice house. And no, Joseph isn't going anywhere. He's chipper. He's cheering people up. He's, he's, he's. Come on, fellas, what's wrong? And they say in verse 8, Oh, we've had these dreams, but we don't know what they mean. And he said, the end of verse 8, chapter 40 and verse 8, well, interpretations belong to God. He'll say, oh, I, I got this, because I know stuff. I, I, God, God can answer your question. He doesn't say, 
Shut up, leave me alone, just die and go to hell anywhere. There ain't no God. You're not saying that. He says, oh, I, I think it can help you with that because I know God, and God can interpret dreams. And sometimes he uses me to do that. Wow. He's helpful. He's supportive. He's concerned for others. After chapter 39. So he gives them their dreams, and it goes pretty much like this. This is the butler. Oh, and then and then the the uh, the baker says, "Well, well, what about me? What about me?" He says, "What's this, 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 this?" And you're going to get hanged. You're going to die. <laughs> so he, 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 Joseph is at least committed to telling the truth. <laughs> you, good news for you. You, not so much. And that's that's how it turns out. And sure enough. Sure enough, the baker is put to death. The butler is released. Verse 25 says, but he forgot to say anything about Joseph. Because Joseph said, now when you get out of here, guys, remember me, okay? Hook a brother up. I took care of you. Don't forget that. The butler got out and, and no, Joseph who? What are you talking about? Now, where would you be at this point? First Potiphar's wife, I'm in jail, I help a guy out, he forgets me. Okay, enough is enough! Been there? Are you there now? Now, Pharaoh has these dreams. I got ahead of myself, brother. It's Pharaoh with the seven cows and all of this. Pharaoh's got these dreams. Verse 8, chapter 41 and verse 8. No one, no one can interpret these dreams. The butler hears Pharaoh say, no one can interpret these dreams. Oh, oh my goodness. I heard a guy say that once. I had a dream and no one, but God can't. Hey, uh, Pharaoh, I got a little, uh, little egg on my face here. There was this guy when you put me in prison and uh, he turned out you were wrong. I'm being respectful to you, Pharaoh. You were wrong. And here I am. And there was a guy who explained all this and made me understand it. I think maybe he can help you out. Well, let's go get him. And so they sure enough to go and get Joseph. Verse 9, he remembers. Verse 16, he says, look, it's not in me. But God can give you an answer. Look at the humility of this guy who's been punched in the face and the gut and everywhere else you can imagine multiple times. And he said, look, I, I, I'm not special, but, but God can do stuff. And he's still open to being used of God. It's not in me. And then it's in verse 29 that he has the dreams. I got out of myself earlier. He, 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 the seven cows, the seven ears of grain, which are seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Now, during the seven years of plenty, my advice is, old wise Pharaoh, my advice is the one in charge who's, who's got a, a, an understanding of what's going on, 
You put someone in charge who can save all this grain. We know we're going to starve. We're going to scale back. We're not going to indulge and get crazy and throw food away. We're going to save and store as much as we can. We're going to eat, but no one's going to die. We're going to save. And then when the seven years of famine come, you'll be able to feed everybody. Not only here in Egypt, but people from other nations will come. And you'll be able to sell it and make some money. So you'll be taking care of your people, but you'll be taking care of other people to your economic benefit. This is a win-win, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I'm liking this guy. So, verse 37 and 38 thereabouts. He explains all that to Pharaoh and Sarah says, oh, you speak wisdom, young man. You're my guy. He turns to his other advisors. Anybody like him? No one like him. No one understands this. No one thinks it through. Like no one hears from God like this. This is our guy. And and in one day, in one day, he he's out of prison. And by the end of the day, he's like like vice president. He's he's, he's like next to Pharaoh. In in one day. And when I say that, when when we get to the end of chapter forty one. You're all thinking, yeah, yeah, well, when's my one day going to come? And I would say to myself, because I've had thoughts like that, I know that's shocking to all of you. I believe that that day came for me when I was born of the Spirit of God. And I've had some great days. When I met Carmelo, I'm not just throwing it out there so I can, you know, get some Burger King and drink some Dr. Pepper when I get home today. No, I, when I met Carmelo, when I married Carmela, and, and 10,000 times since, when children, when, when this happened in the church, when this happened, it, it, I've, I've had a bunch of great days, a bunch of great days. But when all of my sins were forgiven, past, present, and future. And Almighty God Himself owns me as His Son. And I'm, I'm looking for some payoff for my faithfulness. Joseph said, I, I can't interpret things. I'm just telling what God said. And, and, and that's what every one of us, not just pastors, that, that's what Christians do. God gives us information and, and we give it away. He's better now. Well, God showed me what I was doing wrong and I'm doing it His way and it's working and you should try this. But that's all we do. It's not in us. He puts himself and his wisdom in us, but it's not intrinsic to me. Everything I know, everything I give, everything I say, it, it, I got it from God. And he used 10,000 people and, and a bunch of failures and, and missteps along the way to put that stuff in me, but it's not natural to me, nor is it to you. God gives it to us. And ever so often, he 
said, what should we do? And I said, well, then, the proverb says this. Well, what should we do? Well, the apostle Paul said this. Well, what should we do? Well, well, Jesus said this, and that's all I do in my life. That's all I, I'm not overstating, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, you study the Bible all the time, you do think, uh, yeah, but, but, but all of that is the process by which God speaks. He invests, he deposits himself in us. And then we give it away. That's what Joseph is doing. And he was with Joseph when Joseph couldn't see it or feel it. And he's with you if you're born again. When you don't see it and you don't feel it. When you're getting framed for something you didn't do. When people are gossiping crazy. And you're, you're really at a, a two because none of us are perfect. But they paint you as a 45. God is with you. God is with you. And ever so often, he reveals that he's with us. And he'll set us before Pharaoh and say, this guy needs your help. He's trusting you. Now don't blow this. I said, okay, but wow, okay. And I find myself in a setting where there's brokenness and there's confusion and there's anger and there's resentment and, and there's a history of, 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 of distrust based on uh, some level of abuse. And, and the, wait, 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 where's your God now? And, and all of a sudden, the just things I've learned wisdom in the New Testament book of James, things I've learned of, of doctrinal truth, things, it, 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 just, it just begins to come. Because I'm brilliant. Ask my wife and kids, look there, no, he ain't brilliant. But, but God loves to use the unassuming source. Because when the source is unassuming, the source can say, well, of course, you know, because, you know, after all, my daddy. <laughs> No, 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 no. God loves to speak through Balaam's donkey. God loves to speak through donkeys. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Chapter 42. <clears throat> so we've skipped a lot of time and... and it's here that we're well into these 14 years. The seven years of plenty have passed. We are well into the years of famine. And the famine has reached not only Egypt, but where Joseph came from, where his father's family is still there. And the famine has reached there, and it's drying up. And there's no grain. And there's no grain, there's no bread. And you can only live so long without bread and water. Forget meat and vegetables. They're talking about bread and grain, uh, grain to make bread and some water. And we're just trying to keep ourselves alive. Chapter 42 and verse 5. The sons of Israel. Israel is Jacob. The sons of Jacob came to buy among the others who came because the famine had reached the land of Canaan. Joseph is governor for six. For seven, Joseph saw his brothers. He recognized them. This is the moment. I wonder how many times he had thought about this moment. Maybe he had totally given up on this moment. 
like this will never happen. They think I'm dead. Maybe they're all dead. Maybe the famine got to them. In chapter 42 and verse 7, boy, in Joseph's mind, he's a 17-year-old boy back at his father's house sharing these great dreams. And everyone's saying, shut up. We hate you, you snotty-nosed little brat kid. Shut up. I've never had out-of-body experiences. I've, I've never had like crazy emotional. But I tell you what has happened to me multiple times. I'm in a I'm in a crisis. I'm in a situation. I'm I'm, I'm into this conversation, or I stumbled into this situation, and questions are flying at me. And this one's angry, and this one's saying that's crazy, and everyone's got an opinion, and and someone will say something, and in that instant. I have this vivid moment of recall of something I heard when I was sitting in the pew. Something I came across in the scriptures when I'm studying. Something my father said to me. Something my wife has said to me. Something one of my kids has said to me. And there's this moment of clarity and God used this moment. God used the situation to bring some truth that just screamed at me 30 years ago, 6 weeks ago, and, and now I... This, I, I say what I just remembered, heard, recalled, and people say, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you're so insightful. No, God is so good. God is so good. Chapter 42 and verse 7. He sees his brothers. But his prompting from God was not yet, not yet, not yet. Bump the brakes here, Joseph. They bowed themselves before Joseph. Verse 6 says, But he treated them like strangers. In fact, spoke roughly to them. He said, where are, you, where are you guys from? You're not Egyptian. I know that. You're not Egyptian. Where are you up here? Verse 9, a little bit of a struggle. He remembered the dreams that he had dreamed. And he said, you guys are spies. He starts playing down the language. You guys, you guys are spies. He lets them feel his suspicion. Not revenge. Not revenge. I don't think it's revenge. It's, no, I, 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 I need them, I need them to be very careful right now. You guys are spies. No, 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 verse 10. No, we, we've come to get food. We've come, we are honest men. <laughs> we are honest, we're good guys. Okay. Okay. Let's skip to verse, chapter rather, 45. <coughs> Get to chapter 45 and finding the plot, and I want you to catch the bulk of this story. Chapter 45 and verse 1. Now we've skipped a lot of time now from 42 to 45. There's multiple years. And during those years, there's been a lot of back and forth. We skipped all the back and forth. Tremendous back and forth. Chapter 45, verse 1. At this point, Joseph cannot restrain himself. 
And he breaks down and he's crying. And he says, clear the room. Everyone get out. So all of his assistants and aides and guards and you know all the Egyptians, get out, get out, leave me alone. So it's just him and his brothers now. Last line of verse 1 says, He made himself known to his brothers. <laughs> now he's crying out loud, so loud that the Egyptians heard it, even as far away as Pharaoh's house. That's a loud cry. Because this is decades of grief. Yeah. Bubbling out like a volcanic eruption. <clears throat> the soldiers next door. I don't know how far away Pharaoh's house is or where they were, but they hear it. And he says, verse 3, I am Joseph. I, I am your brother. I am, I am Joseph. Is Dad still alive? Is, is Dad still alive? Well, his brothers can't speak. They're dumbfounded. They're, what? You're who? What? How, what do you mean about our father? What? what? What is happening here right now? And Joe says, it, come on, fellas, it's me. Look at verse 4. Come near. Come near. Touch me. I know I look Egyptian. I dress Egyptian. Look, come on. It's me. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother. The one you sold into Egypt. Like, you sold <laughs> Don't be distressed. Here it comes. Here it comes. This is it. This is it. Verse 5. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Now, this, this guy's a Christian. They didn't use the word Christian in the Old Testament. This guy is a, is a disciple of Jehovah God. Because the flesh came in and say, Oh, the tables have turned. How do you like me now? He doesn't say that. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me. Here comes God sent me before you to preserve life. Amen. Imagine how much anger you could get rid of if you saw your journey as God's unusual pathway to help you be a blessing to other people. Especially people who have intentionally hurt you. Imagine how much anger you'd get rid of if you could buy into that. Now if you think, well that's crazy. Well let me tell you something. Here's Jesus in heaven. Who's part of the Trinity. And he knows he's going to play the role of the God who takes the flesh. So he's done nothing wrong. And he doesn't have dreams like Joseph, but he does have a destiny. The rest of the Trinity have agreed upon that there is this destiny. And you will be the Father, and I will be the Son, and He will be the Holy Spirit, and we will work together, and we will accomplish this, and I will go to the earth, and I've done nothing wrong. And I will be lied on, like Joseph was, and I will be framed, and they will kill me. But at some point, I will reveal myself to them. Amen. Amen. And I won't hate them. And I will remind them that I've paid for your sins. Amen. Don't hate yourself. 
for what you did to me by your sin. Resentment. And, and I ain't trusting nobody. I trusted people. What they did to me? If you can begin to see, maybe God is using all of their wickedness to give me a platform in the future that that I can show mercy. Mercy and grace! Where's my mercy and grace? Well, the very fact that, that you're alive. And, and, and wickedness hasn't completely ruined you. It's hurt you. You've got a couple of scars, maybe more than a few, and a couple of them are real deep. I'm not trying to minimize your pain and your mistreatment. They hated him. They sold him into slavery. That's not a small But here he is saying, God is doing something in my life. And I'm not angry. And, 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 and you, you, should, you should see the forgiveness of God for what you did. I see it. I don't hate you. I'm weeping with joy that we're restored here. I'm not looking for revenge. I'm overcome with joy. Tears of joy. Imagine how much hatred and bitterness and, and, and ah, you could get rid of. <laughs> if you could see God's hand doing that in your life. Yeah. Most of you don't know this. I don't talk about it much. It's long ago and far away when I talk about it. But, but there was a time that 30 people got so mad. That's it. That's it. We're leaving the church. And they did. And they didn't just leave, but they, they wrote letters to all, all the pastors around town. And every time I went to the post office, went to a ministerial meeting, or did, was there some community event, hey, hey, what's going on with the first Baptist? I got this letter. It's just really nasty things about me. Really nasty things about me, doctrinally speaking, none of them true. Because we're part of a fellowship of churches, I go to the meetings which I'm going to in August. I go to these meetings. Because, hey, 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 what? These do them people. Them people hate you. They say this is a guy left. And God says, "What are you going to do with this, Dave? What are you going to do with this? You going to defend yourself? You going to say, 'Ain't true, ain't true.' Let me tell you what's true. Ain't true. They're worse than me. Are you going to say what?" God's teaching all of us a great lesson. Amen. What are you going to do here? What, 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 what are you going to do? You, you, you want to defend yourself and preserve your reputation? Or do you want to dance the kingdom of God? What do you want to do, Dave? What do you want to do? And we will all find ourselves in that moment more than once in our lives. Because this is how God works. This is the providential work of God. I sent you knowing you're going to get kicked in the mouth. But what's really going to happen is you're going to save lives. Yeah. God sent me ahead of you. And he used your wicked, stupid, rebellious, sinful, hateful methods to get me here. But God sent me here to save your life and the lives of Because now the nation of Israel is not wiped out. Which means ultimately King David comes. And King David's faraway grandson, Jesus, comes.
comes and the Messiah because God sent me here to save you. Do you see it? Do, do you see it? God sent me here to preserve life. Is that a beautiful verse? Verse 5, 45, verse 5. Look at verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant and to keep alive for you many survivors. Not just you, knucklehead brothers, but your children and their children and their children. King David, Jesus, me, you. We're not sons of Abraham genetically, but we are sons of Abraham by faith. The faith of Abraham. So it was not you, verse 9, uh, eight, 8, it was not you who sent me, but God did it. You were just a tool. You were just the means. You were just a vessel. You were just a vehicle. God did this. Now somebody right now thinks, oh, see, right there, right there. Now I'm done with God. Well, what kind of loving God would do that? <clears throat> I will concede this much to your emotional response to my hypothetical question to you. I will concede this much that, that God doesn't often, often God does not make sense to my human 21st century logic. I will concede that. Deeply, deeply entrenched. I'm to the place that I can delightfully say I joyfully worship a God who is this smart and, and, and this insightful and has this much management over his universe, his creation, and ultimately his motive. I'm so thrilled and, and, and comforted and encouraged and, 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 and exhilarated by his heart and his motive that I've learned to adjust myself to his methods. We don't like his methods because his methods are intentional. And for us personally, personally, no painful. We don't mind his methods when someone else is painful. Let the wicked go to hell. They deserve to go to hell. That doesn't seem to bother us. We rather don't like it when my car broke down. That's a, that's a major problem in your life. We get mad at God because my life is not as easy as it should be. Because I should have an easy life. All around us people are having but real problems. And it doesn't seem to bother us nearly as much. Because I know God's motive. And I'm learning still the wisdom of his methods. I'm happy to live with the methods. Because I trust his heart and I know his motive. And that comes to pass here. 
in this passage, verse 8. It's not you who sent me, it was God. He made me a father to Pharaoh. Not biologically, but emotionally, Pharaoh does what I tell him to do. Wow. He didn't have the gift to interpret dreams. And he never would have discovered me if the butler hadn't uh, had a dream interpreted, but then forgot me. And then he remembered and said, oh yeah, yeah. And step by step by step, if you look at it in reverse, yeah, Pharaoh would, how would they ever come together? How would they ever come together? And God is doing the same thing in my life and yours all the time. We're bumping into people and don't even know. So he sends his brothers home. He said, go get dad. And they run home and they get dad. In chapter 46 and 47, and all getting them down to Egypt. And we finish finally in chapter 50. 46, 47, 48, 49. The boys go home. You're not going to believe this, dad. You boys lied to me. You gave me the coat. had blood all over it. Yeah, that's okay, Daddy. He loves us. God's in this. God's in this. Let's go. Let's go. Dad, come on. Let's go. And they all go down to Egypt. Now, Jacob had died in chapter 49. They got down to Egypt. They settled in. They're living there. It's happily ever after. And then the old man died. Jacob's gone. And the brothers say, okay. So logic kicks back in in chapter 50. Dad's gone. Now he's going to kill us in front of Dad. But Dad's gone. Boy, we're vulnerable now. Well, that's the language you get in the Godfather movie. <laughs> but in the Bible, it's grace. It's not revenge. The Bible is grace. There ought to be grace in the church. There ought to be grace in a Christian house. Not Godfather talk. Grace talk. My fear is that we call ourselves Christian, but we're acting like Godfather people. Yeah. Take our revenge. <laughs> no, 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 we're Christian people. And Christian people go to the second mile, they turn the other cheek, and they just keep loving, and they bless their enemies. <clears throat> because there's a miracle working in us. A new life. The miracle is not, oh, I, I prayed some prayer, and I fell out, and I jumped up, and I, and I could heal people. Now, let me tell you what the miracle is. You were born of the Spirit of God. And He wiped away all your sin. And now you want to bless people. You want to turn the other cheek if you're truly born again. And your flesh says, what are you doing? I said, no, I'm doing, I'm doing what the new man does. I'm doing what Christ in me does. I'm living by miracle power, not by logic. Here's the miracle power. Chapter 50, skip to verse 15. Chapter 15, verse 15. When Joseph's brother saw that their father was gone, he's dead, they said, Oh, this is it. It may be that Joseph will hate us to pay us back for all the evil. Because they know we deserve that. He was gone. Of course, we're living in a culture that said, Oh, no, we don't deserve anything. That was long ago, and yeah, forget about it. No, no, no. Well, they had at least enough sense, oh, We deserve it. We, we, we deserve this. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Now here's what we don't know. Is verse 17, 16, 17, did, did, did Jacob really say that? Or are they just making this up to get some mercy from, from the, his, their brother? 
that no one knows. But they say that Dad says, tell Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, your father. Joseph, what is it? His brothers come. Verse 18. Brothers come. They fall down before him. We, we are your servants. This You're the boss. You're the boss. You, you, we'll, do it, we'll do it either. Joseph says, do not fear. I'm not God. God holds justice. I don't hold justice. God holds justice. You don't hold justice, which means you should never say, go to hell! Because you don't hold justice. You don't hold justice. I don't hold justice. God holds justice. I'm not in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? No. 20. That was, I know what you did. You meant evil. You, I know you meant evil. I'm okay with that. You, you, you need to process that. You, you, were, you were jealous. You were mad. You, you, you felt displaced. You, I, I, I get all that. You, you, you hated me. I, I, I get it. You meant to hurt me. I understand that. You stepped in. You didn't kill me. I, I became a slave. Lucky me. I know you, you didn't like me at all. That's the reality. Okay. But Christians don't live in a human logical reality. We live in God's reality. And God's reality is He does things that just blow us away, that go beyond our comprehension. But because His heart is so much bigger, we say, you know what? Now that I think it through and I see, I see the, all the dots connected here, I, I don't see how He could have done this any other way. When that sets in, God knows what He's doing. Oh my goodness, God knows what He's doing. I know you meant this for evil. Here's the phrase, the last line of, 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 uh, of verse 20. God meant it for good. To bring about many people. Kept them alive. Like we see right now. Look around us. Look what God did. To us, crazy dysfunctional families. Look what God did, fellas. God meant this. God meant this. This is why it's so important last week that the word providence. Abraham's about to offer Isaac and, and the, the knife is coming and he says, stop, stop, stop. Because God is about to provide. And the word provide is God will see to it. Not going to kill your son, but emotionally you trust your son with me. Emotionally you trust your son with me. And that's clearly seen now. It's clearly seen. And you did it because you had faith to believe God will see. And he had already said it. When they're going up the mountain, his son says, Dad, we've got the wood and fire. Where's the sacrifice? God will see to it. God will provide. So, so is, 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 is some immoral man or woman coming? And you, God will see to it. God will see to it. Are you afraid you're going to starve? God will see to it. Is there crazy dysfunction in your house? Why don't you trust God to show you some wisdom that He will see to solving this? He will work you through this step by step by step. Look around the church. More than half, more than half 
of, of kids raised in the church in decades gone past. You can't find it. You, you think I haven't cried over that? You really think it doesn't affect me? You didn't know me at all? He knows what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. But I trust his heart. I trust his motive. I know his plan. He means what he does for good. I'm a better person. I'm a better preacher. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better person because what I went through in times past, not just the one illustration I made reference to this morning. It has wired me, it has affected me, it has changed me, it has transformed me, it has hardened me, it has softened me. You don't see God do that in your life? He will see to it. He will provide. This is his providential method of care. Accomplishing his purposes. He will see to it. I went way past that. This is the story of the Bible illustrated in all these pictures we're getting week by week by week. We're living in a culture that says, you just get born again and live your life. Like, okay, I repeat a prayer and I start going to church and I give, you know, 20 bucks to my guy. And, and now I'm a Christian. Jesus said to Nicodemus, man, it's a whole new life. Like, you got to be born again. And it's a whole new way of thinking. It's not repeating some prayer, and I, I, I got baptized, now I got religion, I'm a Christian. How about that? How you like me now? No, no, it's, it's like, I trust God with my life. Spirit, soul, body. And he's still changing me. Still changing me. And I'm sitting and saying, look what God did. Oh my goodness, this is beautiful. This is amazing. I never could have envisioned this. We Americans have just... Keep it simple, 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 keep it simple. So simple it's stupid. Just repeat the prayer. Just get, get, come on, don't make a big deal. Just get saved. And, and go to church, you know, unless it's hat day at the Phillies game. Come on. No, he's saying, come live with me. Let me live in you. And let me show you life like you never imagined life. Yeah, I'm going to make you take some risks. You're going to see, you're, on the other side of it, you'll, you'll be saying like Joseph, that was painful, but that was beautiful. Oh my goodness, look what God did yeah. to me, through me, to others. Oh my goodness. You can either claim to yourself as being your own God to yourself. Or you can look at your life and say, yeah, I, I think someone else could do a better job. I give my life to God and He gives me this life that I wouldn't trade for anything. 
And it's got some lumps and some bumps in it. I love this life. Because <clears throat> this is the life that a loving God has given to me. And I love what he's done in my life. And what he's still doing to this very moment. That's what I'm Keep your life to Jesus. Be born of the Spirit. Be born again. Get a new life. Not just God, religion, Baptists, they're kind of crazy. No, a whole new life in Christ. That's it.